Welcome to the Shadron Berean Church Podcast, where you'll find some of the latest teachings from Shadron Berean Church in Shadron, Nebraska. We are a loving community of believers growing in God's grace in Christ together. The heartbeat of our church is to have deep roots in the Word of God and to bear fruit by passionately applying it to our lives by His power for His glory. And we thank you for joining us. Uh, you might have noticed that outside our, our worship center here, there's a big sign on the north wall in the hallway. Anybody tell me what it says? It's a big sign. It's been there forever. It's been there so long you don't even notice it anymore. It says, I can read some of it from here, helping people to really know Jesus Christ. Helping people to really know Jesus Christ. And that, that, that sign, I like that sign because it's just a reminder, I think, of what we're really all about fundamentally, right? What, what, we're, what it boils down to, our mission, what we're looking to do. I mean, as a church, we want to know Jesus Christ and we want to become like him and we want to help others to do the same, to know him, to become like him. But how do we do that? How do we do that? And if that's what we're really all about, then why is it that so many of us feel so shallow spiritually in our relationship with Jesus? I mean, do we really know him or do we just know of him? So that's what we're going to talk about this morning as we resume our, our study on the life of Moses from Exodus 19. And uh, where we're picking up in the book of Exodus is basically the second half of the book. The first half is, you know, this journey out of Egypt to Mount Sinai, and now we are at Mount Sinai, and it's the giving of the law and, and the Ten Commandments and all of that. So um, let's go ahead and read just the first couple of chapters, which is kind of just set the setting for us, where Israel camps at Mount Sinai. And verses uh, 1 through 17 is, the, uh, I guess, the, the first half of this chapter, but uh, verses 1 through 2. In the third month after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on this day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. And they set out from Rephidim and came to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. And there Israel camped in front of the mountain, right? The mountain of God where, uh, where he had appeared to Moses earlier. So uh, God has now, again, like I said, he's delivered Israel from Egypt, but now it's God's mission to get Egypt out of Israel, if you know what I'm talking about, right? Get the worldly gods and characteristics and ways of thinking out of Israel, and he's going he's gonna to sanctify them. He's going to set them apart. He wants them to be a holy people, a holy nation that represents him that is like him. So saving them, kind of like us, right, as Christians, saving, when you get saved, that's just the beginning. Right? There is a, a lifelong journey of becoming sanctified, becoming like our Savior, right? And so he, God, brings Israel out into the middle of nowhere, I mean, <laughs> where they are completely just 
totally dependent upon him, forced to rely upon him. There ain't no water out here. There ain't no food out here. There ain't nothing. There ain't no cars. There ain't no caravans. You know what I'm saying? There's, there's no Walmarts, Supercenters, Costcos, Quiznos, Subway. I don't know. I'm getting hungry now. But there's just nothing out here. Where are you going to go for anything? You're going to go to God, right? For everything, food and drink, anything. So that's what God's doing out here. No worldly distractions, no crutches, just them and God and his word. So, verse 3, Moses went up to God and Yahweh called to him from the mountain. So he approaches God, he's approaching the mountain, and God says, Thus ye shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I lifted you up on eagles' wings, and I brought you to myself. So now then, if you will indeed listen to my voice and keep my covenant, listen and obey, right? And then you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And these are the words which you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So uh, this right here, Moses goes up to the mountain alone, Right? And, and God tells him, I want to make a covenant with Israel. And so he, uh, Moses is kind of their representative for the people. And so uh, it's interesting. Some consider these few verses that we just read to be like, this is the heart of the Pentateuch, which the Pentateuch is the first five books of the Bible that Moses wrote. And you see like the heart of it here in that they contain really like the nature and the purpose of this theocratic covenant. Right? So theocratic, right? We democratic, whatever, republic, you know, that's the type of government we have. And but this is a theocracy that Israel has, right? God is their king. It's a really unique nation. It's a mediatorial kingdom, right? God's kingdom on earth over Israel, through Israel. And um Anyway, uh, they, that's, that's what this, this covenant that God is making with Israel at Mount Sinai is all about. It's a covenant with them. We call it the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant. And, it prov- and, and he provides them with his law, right? Like the Ten Commandments and all these different civil laws, moral laws, um, ceremonial laws, like their religious laws, all of that. And uh, we call that the Law of Moses or the Mosaic Law. But that, following the law is how they're going to carry out this covenant, and if and uh, if they, you know, obey, if they they keep it, then they're blessed, and if they don't, they're cursed and they're dispersed. Right? They don't get to stay in the land. That sort of thing. And so, um, uh, this is also just uh, not the same covenant that we're under necessarily. We're under the new covenant. Right? It's, it comes from the unconditional promise to Abraham. This here is a whole different type of covenant. It's a conditional covenant, curses and blessings, and, and it's temporary. It's just uh, a tutor that's to lead us to Christ, but we'll talk about that later. But uh, it's for this chosen nation of God. But here's why God gives this covenant, and, and, and it's that God desires, you see it there, to make them a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Um, in the ancient world, a priest would typically know things about his God, you know, about the God that he serves that others didn't, you know. It, 
And he would enjoy a close relationship with that God. He would introduce others to that God, show them how to worship that God. There was all sorts of different priests of the various gods out there. And uh, while not all of the Israelites would necessarily be part of the official priesthood, they, don't, they wouldn't all be Levites. You had to be a Levite to be part of the priesthood, a descendant of Aaron. But uh, I think this could be understood to mean that the nation itself, these people, they would be a holy nation and a priesthood. They would, they would function in the sense of a priest, in that they were intended to be a light to the world. This nation of people was to show other nations the, the way to God and then the ways of God. You know what I'm saying? So they show people the way to God and the ways of God, functioning in a, in a priestly sense, right? Bringing people to God and bringing God to the people, like they're, they're ambassadors of their God. But in order to be a light to the world, in order to carry out this function, God wants Israel alone in the wilderness for a while. Think about that. He wants them alone in the wilderness for a while where they can spend time getting to know him and becoming like him. He's sanctifying them. So they'll fulfill that role. But verse 7 and 8 now. Moses came and he called the elders of the people and set before them all these words which Yahweh had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that Yahweh has spoken we will do. And Moses brought back the words of the people to Yahweh. So basically... Moses tells the elders, the elders tell the people, okay, God wants to make a covenant with you. They think about it. They say, okay, let's do it. They agree to the covenant. They tell the elders, the elders tell Moses, and Moses goes back to God, right? (laughs) And it's like, okay, we're going to bind ourselves. We're going to take a covenant oath to be in this covenant relationship with God. It's a a special occasion, right? But, and and probably, (laughs) think about this. Israel agreeing to be in this covenant with God is one of the most important moments in, in this world's history, right? And uh, it's a serious matter. You kind of want to slow down here a little bit and get a little sober about it because you're entering into a covenant with God that it contains blessings and cursings. And this is why uh, God is going to display himself in the way that he is. He's going to show them, look, This is a covenant that you don't take lightly. This is something that you need to take seriously. And he's going to show them. He needs to be feared. Look at verse 9 through 17 here. Yahweh said to Moses, Behold, I will come to you in a thick cloud so that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe in you forever. And then Moses told the words of the people to Yahweh. And Yahweh said to Moses, Go to the people and set them apart as holy today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments. And let them be ready for the third day, for on the third day Yahweh will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Beware that you do not go up to the mountain or touch the border of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. No hand shall touch him. Don't even touch that person, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Surely shot through. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. And when the ram's horn sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. And so Moses went down from the mountain to the people and set the people apart as holy, and they washed their garments. 
And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. And so it happened on the third day when it was morning that there was thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain and a very large trump, loud trumpet sound so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. So... Uh, in preparation for their meeting with the Almighty God, God establishes His presence in some pretty unique ways, right? You guys got, you know, that, that Ten Commandments movie flashing in your minds, right? Uh, just this that magnificent, glorious presence with the thick cloud, the flashes of lightning and thunder, the trumpet, the shofar, the blazing fire. I mean, um, this was a, a really frightening event for them uh, when God came down like this. I mean, he basically did that on purpose. He did that on purpose. He said uh, that he wanted them to understand that he needed to be feared. He needed to be respected. He needed to be revered. And uh, uh, Exodus 20.18 says that the people were trembling. Well, God says, don't come near. And Exodus 20.18 says, they don't even want to go near. Right? They're, just, they're just afraid. They're scared to go near. And even if they wanted to, they can't because they would be shot or stoned. I mean, that was the command. Or God's holiness, you're going to see, is actually going to break out against that person. They just can't stand in the presence of God yet. And so it's all to show them, again, there's no one like him. You have to respect this holy God. He is to be feared. And um, as such... They have to be prepared to meet him. He says, prepare to meet with me. Look at some of the things they did. They had to, they had to wash themselves, right? Um, they had to uh, practice some abstinence, right? Moral purity. They were to show complete devotion to God on this occasion. That's what I think you see there. There's a, a complete devotion that's needed. You have to think that, you know... These, these folks out in the wilderness, they weren't taking hot showers every day, right? They probably had some perfume, hopefully. But, uh, you know, think about it. You know, this, the washing in devotion here, this washing, this devotion to God, I mean, this was signified a really special occasion. Isn't that what you do when there's a special occasion, right? You save yourself for that, like that wedding day, right? You're entering into a covenant. You save yourself for that moment, and you, you get all washed up, right? You put on your nice clothes and all, you know? It's kind of like that. They're entering into this covenant, holy relationship with God. And um, it's, it's going to require some moral purity, Right? God says in Leviticus four times, Be holy, for I am holy. And uh, later individuals and, and priests, like Nadab and Abihu, these guys, these are two, two of the first priests, Aaron's sons, they're struck down as an example to everybody because they entered into God's presence in the tabernacle without preparation. They didn't treat him as as holy. So God, you have to think through this manifestation of his presence, he's sort of like cultivating or forming their 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 moral conscience and their 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 respect for the holy almighty God. But uh, the second half we see Yahweh descending upon uh, Mount Sinai here, verse 18. 
through 25 real quickly. Now, now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because Yahweh descended upon it in fire. And its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain trembled violently and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder and then Moses spoke and God answered him with thunder and Yahweh came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain and Yahweh called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. And then Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, Go down, warn the people, lest they break through to Yahweh to see. And many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to Yahweh set themselves apart as holy, yes, lest Yahweh break out against them. And Moses said to Yahweh, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, uh, for you warned us, saying, set, the bounds, set bounds about the mountain and set it apart as holy. And then Yahweh said to him, Go down, come up again, you and Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to Yahweh, lest he break out against them. And so Moses went down to the people, and he told them. So uh, Moses is getting his exercise in, huh? Uh, (laughs) But uh, next time, guys, think about this. Uh, Next time one of these big, dark storm clouds rolls around, and we're getting that time of year, right? There's lightning and, and thunder, uh, think about what it would be like to walk up into that thing. I've done that several times over the years. And just looking at a dark, black, gnarly lightning cloud and just thinking about, why I wouldn't want to walk into that thing. That's the last thing I want to do. I want to run inside. I want to get away from it, right? But to imagine Moses walking up into that thing. Uh, that'd just be unreal. That'd be a sight to behold. But um, uh, let's see here. Uh, this time, you see, God allows Moses... And Aaron now to ascend the mountain where God has descended. And uh, just want to point out that everything is on his terms. Right? At first it's only Moses, then it's only Moses and Aaron, then nobody else can. And it's like when, you, when you're approaching God here in this section, it's like you approach God on his terms and his terms only. You don't just approach him any way you want to. It's his way or the highway kind of thing. You know, and that's the way it works with God. He's teaching them no one should ever thoughtlessly barge into his presence without being prepared because his blazing holiness will break out against that person. And uh, uh, he's just an awesome God like that. It has to be respected. He has to be revered. And uh, in the next chapter, um, well, in the, uh, yeah, ne- yeah, the next chapter, uh, God will give them the, the Ten Commandments and the law and all of that. But that's basically as far as we're going to go today in our text. Because there's, just, there's so much here for us when it comes to helping people to really know Jesus Christ. As far as us knowing Him, becoming like Him, and helping other people to do the same. There's a lot to learn here about uh, when it comes to our New Testament priesthood-like function, how we function as mediating priests in the world today. Um, I think that's a real capacity in which we serve in this world. There, there is God, and we're his ambassadors, and we bring right, the good news of the kingdom to people on earth. Right? We want to take people to God in prayer as a priesthood sense, and then we also want to take God to people, the good news to people, and restore that relationship. And so that's kind of what we're looking at here, and we see some things to be reminded of concerning that. Number one, uh, that, that we were made for a relationship with God. Um, 
We were made for a relationship with God. Such a simple principle that we never should ever forget. Uh, you know, this is why God brings Israel out into the wilderness in the first place. He wants a unique relationship with them. He wants to use Israel to reach the world. Israel, come out into the wilderness. You can come get to know me. You can become like me. And then you can be a light to the nations. Right? So he intends to use them to reach people. Um, but uh, they got to spend some time with him. But the fact that there's a big problem, too, between God and man couldn't be more evident, right? Because of the, the how he's holy and we're not. You know, there's, this, there's a barrier there that, that cannot be crossed. Uh, the problem is, is that God is holy and we're not, right? We're sinners. We're rebellious. And uh, that's why the barrier, the separation is there. It's sin. And you see the fact that we need a mediator. We need a go-between. Someone to go between holy God and sinful man and restore that relationship. You know, and uh, listen to Psalm 5.4. It says, you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. Right? In the future, in eternity. Does God let anybody into his presence that's evil? You know, is there going to be anything sinful or evil in the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem? No. No evil dwells with him, right? When the angels rebelled, they got kicked out of heaven, right? So Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. And we deserve now to be separated from God. Do you see that? We all deserve to be separated from God. None of us, because we're all sinners, should ever be able to enjoy and dwell in God's presence. None of us should ever, ever be able to get into heaven. Because he's holy, we're not. And we can't undo our unholiness, you know what I'm saying? We should be separated from God forever. The wages of sin is death. It's separation. And uh, guys, this is really the first step to knowing God. If you really want to know God, unless you know who he is as a holy and righteous God, then we won't understand in, 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 in reflection who we are. We have to understand who he is so we understand who, who we are, that we're not him, and we're not even like him. And that we're sinners. We're just not good. Uh, ask anybody on the street. We're not inherently good, I should say. But it's not saying that we can't do good things. But, you know, once we're saved. But I'm not going to get into that. But you ask anybody out on the street here if they are going to heaven. And they have no biblical knowledge or whatever. Ask them, are you going to heaven? You know what, what are they going to say? I hope so. Or, I I think so. I'm a pretty good person. You know, I've never done anything too bad. I've never killed anybody. But God is dispelling the myth that, that, that we're pretty good. <laughs> With his, this manifestation of his presence here. He's saying, look, all of you are, are not good. You're all sinners. There's a separation here. That's why the law was given in the first place. That's why God gave Israel the law. Uh. Galatians 3 says the law, right? The Ten Commandments, thou shalt not. You know, these are 
These, this law was a tutor to lead us to Christ. It was to show us we are not good. We were, we're meant to look at the law and say, oh, yep, broke that command. Oh, that one there, broke that one, right? I've broke that one. I have, you know, I have lusted. I have done this. I have, have had different idols. I have not worshipped God here. You know, it's like you look at the law. The law is like a mirror, and you look into it, and you see who you really are. Or it's like an x-ray machine. It, like, it can, like, it examines you, and you look at yourself for who you really are deep down, and it's, it reveals your faults. And then you say, I can't keep this thing. Or at least I can't keep it perfectly. And so what do I do? I'm then meant to turn to the Savior, Jesus Christ, the mediator. The law is a tutor, an instructor to lead us to Jesus Christ. It was to reveal our need for a Savior, for a mediator. And, you know, that's how Moses is functioning. He's functioning as a mediator between God and man. But the ultimate mediator was not Moses, right? It was it was Jesus. Moses, Hebrew says, it's just kind of like this foreshadowing of the true mediator who would come. Second Timothy, or 1 Timothy 2.5 says, there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Why Jesus? Because he's perfectly God. He's God, but he's also man. But he's not just any man. He didn't come. He's not a descendant of Adam. Right? He was born of a virgin through the Holy Spirit. So he's not a descendant of Adam. He is a sinless one, right? So being sinless, he didn't deserve to die. But he did die. And why did he die? For our sins. To take the punishment that we deserve. And so therefore, he can be that perfect mediator that we need. He can be the perfect meteor. He's God, he's man, he's perfectly both. And therefore, he, through his death and burial and resurrection, opened up to us, Hebrews says, I just wanted to preach Hebrews this week, but it says, he opened up a new and living way so that all of us can draw near to God with confidence and joy. Hallelujah, right? We can all draw near to God now. We can all dwell in his presence forever. Remember when Jesus died on the cross and the the veil was torn that separated even the priests from the Holy of Holies where God's presence dwelt in that temple. So they all could enter in freely by grace through faith in what Jesus Christ did. But that's the only way. Those are his terms. You can't just barge into God's presence in heaven as you are. You have to come through Jesus. That's the only way. And so if you're here this morning, you don't know how to get to heaven, you've never, you've never made a decision for Christ, do it now. You, if you died today without Christ, you would, his holiness would break out against you. You would spend forever in hell, apart from him, separated from him. Because that's what we deserve. You have to approach him on his terms, and it's only through Jesus and what he did. So, it's the only way to heaven. Sometimes, guys, we, I think we think that, we, we get this impression. You know, you look to the Old Testament, and you, we look to the Old Testament, and we say, wow, this was a God of judgment in the Old Testament. I really like the God of the New Testament better. But that's really faulty thinking when it comes down to it. yes. In God's pedagogical program from beginning to end, he does emphasize his, you know, separation from man in the Old Testament. 
And he does emphasize his nearness in the New Testament. I would agree with that. But it's the same God. And because Jesus has come into this world as a man and died for our sins, the Bible says we have even more accountability now, right? Jesus coming into this world as a man, God becoming a man, is even, it's even more amazing than a Sinai experience. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's a greater revelation. The greatest revelation we have is Jesus as a man, Right? You, ask, you ask God sometimes, right, why won't you reveal yourself? It's like, he did. Uh, many times, in many ways. And in these last days, Hebrews 1 says, he's spoken to us in his Son. And so look at Hebrews 2, verses 1 through 3. It says, for this reason, we have to pay closer attention to what we've heard. Lest we drift away, because if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, which he's talking about the law of Moses, and... If, and if the law, every trespass and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? How do we escape this revelation? The Son of God becoming a man and dying for our sins. We reject that good news, we're going to die without mercy. And we're going to suffer fiery pains in hell forever. You reject that gracious gift of eternal life in Christ. So which is greater, Sinai or Christ? God wants us also not to just have a relationship with Him, or not just to save us, but He wants us to to meet with Him regularly, to develop that relationship. I think you you catch a glimpse of that here. You noticed how how much exercise Moses got going up and down this mountain. Uh, They say it's somewhere around seven times. You know, he didn't just go up there once for 40 days and come back down. It's like he's up and down and up and down. At least seven times are recorded. But, you know, God just didn't show up in this massive glorious display for a day and call it good. He actually wanted to dwell among his people. I mean, they're going to be camped at Mount Sinai for 11 months. And then from there on, they're going to be in the wilderness for 40 years. And who's with them? Who's in the middle of them all? God's presence, that Shekinah glory presence, the pillar, the cloud, the fire. And uh, that's, that's the way he wants to operate. He wants to dwell among his people. And so um, he wants to meet with us, he wants to dwell with us. And uh, it is required, too, of mediators, those who uh, help others come to know their God, that they, they know their God, too. Right? We have to know God personally if we're going to introduce others to him we have to spend time with him and i'm basically getting into one of these spiritual disciplines now that we talk about uh called you know a quiet time or a devotional time uh if you're a new christian that's what we we call spending time with with god maybe in in his word we read his word take time out of each day preferably to spend time in his word and in prayer and in contemplation you know it's just we're spending time with the Lord, and it should uh, become a habit for us. It should be this thing that we just want to do or do, and uh, even though it's hard sometimes to slow down and do it, but you know, if, if we want to grow in our relationship with the Lord, you know, there's just no replacement for this. There's no replacement for slowing down and just spending time in his word and in prayer. You know, we, we want something newer, I think, all the time. We, 
We think, oh, why is my spiritual life so shallow? I want something newer, faster. I'm missing something. And I think the whole time, we just need to come back to doing what we already know. We need to be doing. And that's just spending time with the Lord. Um, so how's your devotional life this, these days? Can I ask you? I'm not going to look at anybody's faces. How's your prayer life doing? Kind of convict, convicting question, isn't it? At least for most of us it is a lot of the time. Uh, because it's the first thing to go as soon as we get busy, we get distracted. But let's, let's look at some few things here we can do to improve our, our meetings with Almighty God. Number one, just I got three things here. Come with a prepared heart, number one. A consecrated heart. That's how the people were supposed to approach God. Israel had to come clean, right? Literally, but in a sense it was, it's figuratively speaking, you guys need to come clean. You, when you go to meet with God, you have to think that even when, I, when you're alone, you're going you're to spend time with God, you have to think, I'm entering the presence of Almighty God here. Right? This is a special thing that I get to do. And it requires some confession. It requires some repentance. I mean, that's how you should, be, I think, begin your devotional time with the Lord. Confessing sin, repentance. You can't be hiding anything. Relationships require transparency. You know, that's just the way they are. And he knows it all anyway, right? He knows our hearts anyway, so there's no sense in hiding it from him. First uh, John 1 9 says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I just again I find that so necessary to just remaining in fellowship with God, walking with him, um, you know, staying current, we might say. Uh, second, come willing to obey when you come to your quiet time with the Lord. Uh, come willing to obey. God said to Moses in Exodus 20 20. That, that I, I came in this fiery fashion so that the fear of me might remain on you. And so you'd be dissuaded from sinning, basically. Yeah, that's, that's what the fear of God does. Doesn't it dissuade you from sinning sometimes? I know it does me. It keeps me on my toes. Uh, that's for sure. But because um, I, I don't want to experience his, his discipline. I know I'm saved. But, you know, fear of God, you know, fear of your father. He'll discipline you when you're not walking with him. Um, Chuck Swindoll said, anyone who sins willfully has temporarily blocked out the fear of God. Or maybe even thought of abusing God's grace. But he also said, our spiritual lives tend to be shallow when we have a shallow, superficial view of God. Um, it's, it's important for us to have in our minds this almighty God. I mean, Christ... You know, he's our friend, he's our brother, but he's also, he's also almighty God. He needs to be respected, right? Um, remember the apostle John? How much, John is one of the, the top three, right? Apostle, or disciples, Peter, James, and John. I mean, John knew Jesus really well on earth, but when John gets a revelation, in the book of Revelation, when he gets a vision of the glorified Christ in heaven, what does he do? He falls on his face as though he's dead. He's saying, oh yeah, this Jesus, this Jesus is almighty God here. He realizes, too, Jesus has to be respected. But Now look at 2 Corinthians 7.1. It says, what agreement has the sanctuary of God with idols? 
For we are a sanctuary of the living God, like a set-apart people. And just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what's unclean, and I will welcome you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, Having these promises, beloved, Peter says, or sorry, Paul says, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in what? The fear of God. A little fear is good, isn't it? A little fear is good. But you see the emphasis there. In, and look at all those Old Testament quotes in there if you got your notes handy. I mean, the emphasis on holiness and cleanliness being linked to God's presence. In our lives. It's a big deal. You want to know God? A lot of people want to know God. If you want to know God, you've got to obey Him. Why should God keep revealing Himself to us if we're not obeying what we already know? Right? Why should He teach me anything new if I'm not coming to His Word with a humble, obedient spirit? So... Thirdly, uh, let's just come willing to listen. That was something else God said. He said, I don't want my instruction falling on deaf ears. He said, tell the people to listen to my voice. Listen carefully. Listen like your life depends on it sometimes, right? Kind of like on Passover. You had to be very specific in the way you applied the blood of the lamb. Right? It was, it was listen or else. And same way, right? we've got to listen to what God's word says. I can't help too, but think of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John are up there with him. He's transfigured on a mountain in a thick cloud again. Right? Do you think that's any evidence that Jesus is God? But um, very similar to Sinai. And here's what the Father says of the Son. He says, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Then what? Listen to him. Listen to what Jesus says. How can we listen to Jesus today? I got one idea, maybe not audibly, but I think, I think we got everything we need in here, right? Everything that God really wants us to know, he put in this book for us. Everything we really need to know. You want to know what Jesus said? You want to listen to the Son? Go see what he said, right? Listen to him, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but... I think I'd rather have this than a Mount Sinai experience where I can come to God's word like this and just read it plainly, clearly. And hey, 2 Peter says we, it's, we got the prophetic word made more sure than what happened on that Mount of Transfiguration. Right? He says that you'd rather have this. Um, so let's, 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 let's work on meditating on God's word day and night. Let's read it. Let's study it. Let's, let's, let's pray it. Let's sing it. Let's contemplate it. And... Just chew on it day and night. I also think, too, that, you know, listening to God, I believe that God's Spirit communicates with our spirit in ways that I'm not even going to try to go into detail. You know what I'm saying? But God's Spirit lives in us, and His Spirit communicates with our spirit. He's going to nudge you. He's going to convict you in different ways, right? I hope you guys believe that. You've got a real relationship with Him. But how do you know if those nudges or whatever are... are convictions are right or wrong well you got to go back to the word that's why you got to get in the word because he's not going to contradict his word 
And sometimes it's just our feelings or our emotions that are misleading us. So that's why we've got to get grounded in the Word, stay grounded in the Word. And then one of the most practical ways I've learned to listen to God is just through a journal. Very practical. Just keep a journal of the different ways that God has been speaking to you, teaching you through His Word, maybe through your own reading of His Word, through preaching, through teaching. Um, and then you, you can go back in your journal over time and you can actually see how God was leading you and, and, and guiding you. But uh, I, I kind of mentioned this earlier, but um, you know, I think it's our problem when it comes to, to listening to God isn't that we need something new, that we need something different. It's that we just need to go back to doing what we already know we're supposed to be doing anyway. Just spending time with God and His Word. But again, it's, it's hard to do. It's the first thing to go. Our devotional life, when things get busier, we just get distracted. Uh, social media, not going to call it inherently sinful, but it's pretty close. <laughs> uh, just kidding. It's an addiction, guys. And you can sit down in your recliner. Before you know it, 45 minutes have gone by and you haven't done anything worthwhile. You know what I'm saying? It is a time robber. And I think our problem is not that we don't have enough time. It's that we do. We're just... It's a spiritual discipline. And discipline requires hard work, right? Sometimes sometimes you're going to sit down to pray and it's going to take 15 minutes just for you to get the things off your mind that are in your mind. You know what I mean? Before you actually enter into a real relational experience with God because you're so focused on the world. So take those things when you start sit down and just write them down and get them on paper so you can just forget about them and you can get to them later. But... At least that's the way it is, is for me. But um, I've got a, I got a clip here out of an article that I want to I read here. And this, this article is an article that I shared in the very first sermon I ever preached. Okay? And you're going to tell it's a little outdated. And I'm not that old, but it's still dated because technology just moves so fast. But uh, the subject was on prayer, and, if, and, and it was true then, and it's true now, and it's even more relevant. But listen to this guy's um, account of how his day went. He says, The day began with my alarm clock jolting me awake, and I immediately turned on my Blackberry. See, I told you it was dated. I turned on the Blackberry to hear it chime for each voicemail and email that, I, that had been left while I slept. And I stepped into the shower where I listened to my waterproof radio. I then turned on the television to catch some news while I dressed. Driving to work, I, turned into, I tuned into some radio talk banter. Throughout the day, the chime on my laptop kept ringing as emails arrived, and my cell phone continued to vibrate and ring on my hip. You can tell this guy's a pastor. Um, before long, I needed a break, and I put on my iPod to go for a walk. On the drive home, I again listened to the radio in an effort to drown out the blaring horns of frustrated fellow commuters. After eating dinner and tucking my five children into bed, I turned on the television to watch a show I recorded on my TiVo. And as I drifted off to sleep, it dawned on me that I had not, I had, not had one minute of silence during my entire day. And in that moment, God deeply convicted me that I was addicted to the false trinity of our day, the gods known as noise, and hurry, and crowds. He said, I remembered the words of missionary martyr Jim Elliott, 
who said, I think the devil has made it his business to monopolize on three elements. Noise, hurry, and crowds. Satan is quite aware of the power of silence. So, pretty convicting stuff, huh? So as, as we close, I just want to encourage us to maybe soundproof our lives a bit when we need to, to, to slow down enough to meet with God. Because if, if we're too busy for God, boy, we're just plain too busy. We're just too busy. Um, we were created for our relationship with God. We've got to spend time with God if we're going to become more like Him so that we can help others come to know Him as well. So let's pray. Lord, uh, we're so thankful just that uh, while you are this transcendent, almighty, infinite, powerful God, that you are also an imminent God, that you're, you're always with us and near us. And we're thankful for, after reading Mount Sinai, about Mount Sinai, we're thankful for the new covenant for Christ's death and burial and resurrection that allows us to enter into the Holy of Holies and to approach your, your throne of grace uh, with joy and, and confidence this morning. And Lord, I just ask that uh, maybe you would uh, reveal to us, Lord, uh, convict us where we need to be convicted and just remind us of what we need to be doing. Lord, this area of our lives is just one of those areas that we so often let slip away. I mean, it just gets scorched and drowned out by all the noise in this world and all the busyness of life. But Lord, remind us of, of, of our priority to, uh, to keep you first in our lives and to grow in our relationship with you and so that we can become more like you and help others come to know you as well and be a light to the nations. We pray in Jesus' name and righteousness. Amen.